0: you want to take your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we will continue. Look at Jesus' third I am statement. We started it last week. John chapter 10 actually contains two of them, two of the I am statements. So statements three and four, Jesus gives these In the context of an extended metaphor on shepherds, sheep, and shepherding, and using that that vivid imagery to draw out important truths about Himself, who He is, His nature, His ministry, His saving work, and then His ongoing ministry to us as God's people. And we'll see that reflected again this morning. John chapter 10, and we'll read verses 7 through 10 this morning. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal. And to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Ask the question What is a good life? And you will get no small number of answers. In fact, you might even get something a little different for every person that you may ask. And you could ask a similar question, not just what is a good life, but what is the meaning of life? What is, what is the purpose of life? All these will garner a number of responses. Let me give you a few responses that so-called influencers in our world have given. The Dalai Lama. He says, you've probably never heard a quote from the Dalai Lama from the pulpit, Right? Here's what he says the purpose of our lives is to be happy. What a ridiculous statement. And that's to be as offensive as I possibly could be to him. That is a ridiculous statement. Purpose of our lives is to be happy. Here's another person you've probably never heard quoted from the pulpit Elton John. He tells us that the purpose of life is to live for each second without hesitation. Does that include while you're sleeping? That's my question, right? Do I have to do it while I'm sleeping? Do I have to sleep without hesitation? So every second. So once again, we see an example, right? If somebody thinks a lot of himself and his ideas, thinks, well, this sounds good. And this is the kind of thing that gets you know, tweeted and posted and whatnot. But really, if you think about it, it's a silly idea how about this one tell me if you can guess the author and I'll give it away based on how I'm going to read it you have brains in your head you have feet in your shoes you can steer yourself any direction you choose a great American philosopher right Dr. Seuss And, and yet again, my guess is if you are to ask people the question, there's going to be a number of responses along those kind of lines, these kind of cliched responses. Um, Do what you love, you never work a day in your life. You know, those, those kind of things. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I just mean these are the kinds of ideas that will come out. Of course, then there are those who will reject the premise of the question. Those who are on kind of the, the far side of things and see nothing but darkness and bleakness. Here here was one response to that kind of question, an individual who really claims, well, I don't know if there's any meaning in life at all. I don't know if there's any such thing as a good life. Here, Here was one individual. Here's how he answered. I don't know the meaning of life. I don't know why we're here. I think life is full of anxieties and fears and tears. It has a lot of grief in it. And it can be very grim. And I do not want to be the one who tries to tell somebody else what life is all about. To me, it's a complete mystery. This was said by Charles Schultz. Some of you recognize the name, some of you may not. That great inventor of peanuts and Charlie Brown. It's fairly dark for a guy who wrote a comic strip, right? And then what one other statement on this other side of things could be stated by no one better but a Russian. The only absolute knowledge attainable by man is that life is meaningless. And this was Tolstoy. Again, you, if you were to ask the question, you're going to get a variety of answers. You're going to get them on all You know, on all sides, you know, the full spectrum of answers. And even if you were to ask this question in the church, yeah, I'm not sure in any given church or context that you might not get similar kinds of answers, something less than deep and rich and significant. And here's what I find interesting. For the majority of people who might answer that question, I think they are going to give an answer that really stands in stark contrast to the Bible. Now, now I know what you're thinking. Well, obviously, I mean, we're at church, and yes, you, you say, yeah, we agree with that, of course. It stands in stark contrast, but maybe not for the reasons you think. I mean, for some. But here's one really clear commonality among any answer you might receive that's not rooted and grounded in a thorough biblical theological worldview. It's It's going to be this, that to find meaning in life, to pursue a good life, to get something out of it, to fulfill your purpose and your dreams, whatever kind of language you want to use, you have to do it. You have to work for it. It's something that you earn, it's something you go after, right? You wake up every day and you go out there and you hustle for it, right? You make sure that you pull yourself up and that you grit those teeth and that you get out there and and you, you live every second without hesitation, right? And that's what you do, you give your whole self to achieving meaning and purpose in life and the Bible comes screaming at us to say, you can't do it that way. The real contrast with the biblical worldview is not just in the values and principles that either seem shallow or downright contrary to the Word of God. It's the fact that the Bible does not tell me how to earn a good life or how to earn meaning and value and purpose in life. Instead, the Bible tells me it's something that is given to me. It's not something I work for, it's not something I earn, it's not something I create. I don't create my dreams, I don't create my purpose, I don't get to decide these things. Instead, it is given to me and given to me as a free gift of God as a result of His gracious provision and salvation. I think it's to this reality that we turn again to the third I am statement of Jesus. Some of these fundamental ideas are found in just these few verses, that as Jesus asserts Himself… As the door, He in fact is giving us critical information on what it means to really live a good life. So this morning we turn once again to this. So John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, Jesus identifies Himself as the door to the sheep. So because He is the door, we can be certain that He is sufficient to grant us access to all that is true of salvation. And the imagery that Jesus uses here... I think makes two fundamental assertions. We looked at the first one last week. And so we've already we already considered this. Jesus fulfills the expectations of the Messiah. You'll note in the text that we read, Jesus repeats the I am statement. He says I am the door twice. And so in the first one, this is what he's saying. I I am the door of the sheep. That anyone else who claims to be Messiah, all others who come before me, false prophets, bad teachers, um, uh, false messiahs, they're all thieves and robbers. They're not the real deal. And true sheep who belong to me will not listen to their voice. Jesus is saying one fundamental truth about himself is he fulfills the expectations of the Messiah. And let's press that point just a little further. Not only does he fulfill them, but he alone fulfills them. There's no other Messiah. It's not that he's one among a group of people who have to meet all the criteria. No, he alone fulfills them. He is not a door. He is the door. All right. It's not hard to read these things. You You don't have to know Greek to know, all right, the significance of what's called a definite article. All right. Number two. If you want to fill in blanks, here you go. I think there'll be blanks to fill in. So then the second assertion Jesus makes when he repeats the I am statement is Jesus also bestows the benefits of the Messiah. Because he fulfills the expectations, obligations of it, because he himself is the Messiah, that means that he comes with certain benefits. He gives to his sheep certain benefits. And there are at least three that are referenced in the text. Number one first benefit is rescue as the door Jesus rescues us now notice what it says again in verse 8 verse 9 he repeats the I am statement he shortens it he doesn't say the whole phrase that he said in verse 7 still the same idea I am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved Now, we hear that word, saved, and that is immediately recognizable to to what I would assume to be most of us in the room, right? This is standard Christian language, biblical language, that, that again, is is a word that we use to describe our salvation. The problem is, is, it's a word that you and I know, we're familiar with, but maybe we don't think through the full ramifications of that specific word and what it specifically says about our salvation... For sure, when we go sharing the gospel with people, if you, if you were to do this and say, you know, go down to, to Union Point, you know, it's full full of folks this weekend, right? If you were to go down there and start doing some witnessing or, or wait till Mum Fest and start asking folks and ask this question have you been saved? You know what you're asking, but you know what you're gonna get asked in return? Saved from what? Have I been? Maybe. I don't know. Saved from what? And in this context, it's really interesting. I am the door. If anyone comes in by me, he will be saved. Keep in mind, this is imagery of sheep, shepherds, and shepherding. So what does he mean when he tells them, as the door, if you come in by me, you will be saved. Well, the word salvation means to rescue. That's So that's what we're talking about. When we talk about ourselves being saved, what we mean is we've been rescued. Now, think about it in the context of the sheep. Remembering that Jesus being the door isn't like that kind of a door, right? It's not like it hinges and swings in and out. When Jesus describes himself as the door, he is speaking about a very specific responsibility of the shepherd when the sheep are out in the pasture. When they're going to have to be out there overnight or over maybe even the course of days. And there are rudimentary sheep pens built all around the region and countryside so that the sheep can go whatever distance they have to go. They can find pasture, they can graze, they can be fed, they can be watered. And then there is a place to go into at night so then the next day they can go back out and they can keep doing the same. Uh, We would recognize that these kind of grazing animals need a lot of space, right? And so they've got to keep moving around. Well, the sheep pen they would have gone into would have had walls, but just an opening to get in. And the shepherd, a part of his responsibility, was to lie in front of the opening. He slept there all night long. In fact, I, I would contend there may have been a number of nights where he did not actually sleep at all, right? That the shepherd was there to ensure that all the sheep... He'd count them, by the way. He'd count them and name them. He'd call them by name out from the pasture. And they would come one by one, entering into the sheep pen. He would count them all by name. So imagine this. It's the end of the day. The sun is beginning to set. As the sun sets, who else is coming out? That which would love a big, fat, tasty sheep. Right? Either animal predators... Or thieves and robbers. I mean, while while people may steal stuff in broad daylight, traditionally speaking, right, it is easier to do in the cover of darkness. When the sun went down, things got dangerous. Quite frankly, it was dangerous even when the sun was up and shining, but even more so at this moment. And so this language Jesus uses to describe himself as the door and the means of saving the sheep He's saying that so the shepherd is the door would, would bring them into this place of safety, rescue. They may not have known necessarily they were being rescued. It may not, the, 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 the danger upon them may not have been, you know, immediately before or behind the sheep. They may not have necessarily been running away from a pack of wolves ready to devour them, all right? The danger was out there because the shepherd knew. And so, Jesus is using, again, this analogy as a way to emphasize one of the benefits of being rightly related to the shepherd. The truth is, when we go to talk about what does it mean to have a meaningful life, not only does the world get it wrong by assuming it's something I earn and work for rather than being something that's given, they also assume that meaning in life is somehow tied to material or experiential realities. The Bible comes back at that and says, no, that's not right. That not only is meaning in life not something earned, something given, it is not tied to these kind of material and experiential kinds of things. Instead, meaning in life is directly tied to your relationship to the Creator, the benefits then that He bestows, and the certainty of promises that come from being rightly related to Him. This is how you have meaning in life that you are rightly related to Him who gives life. And so Jesus is saying, look, one of the things I do, I am the door, and so only by me can you be saved. Again, it's an important image of what it means to be a believer. We've been... We've been saved. Now, immediately, we might think, "Well, what would save save from what?" Well, we've been saved from sin. Save from sin as a reality, as something we no longer do. Well, not necessarily, but save from its penalty, save from punishment, save from death, save from the curse. The work of the gospel is a work of rescue, and whether or not you and I think of it this way, as intentionally as we should, or not. That's another thing for us to consider maybe this afternoon. But we should appreciate the fact that if we identify as those who have been saved, we have been rescued from certain death and punishment that would have been meted out for an eternity without Christ. And let me add one other piece. We would have deserved it. We would have deserved it. this is the profound promise here one of the benefits that is bestowed upon us is rescue by the way I also want to point out another word he said if anyone enters you know what anyone means anyone that doesn't mean everyone we're not universalist everyone will not be saved but anyone can be I mean, Jesus is very clearly making a point to these religious leaders that there will be no racial or economic or social structure or status or requirement for becoming part of the sheep. Anyone. Anyone can be part. God does not withhold his gospel from any particular group just because of these other standards we may establish, whether it's race or economics or education or, again, status and position, anyone all right number two and that is provision second benefit is provision notice that next phrase in verse nine the very end and we'll go in and out and find pasture to to go in and out that's kind of a hebrew state it's a hebrewism of sorts and it was a way to describe the living of life we we might use a phrase something like the coming your comings and goings right In other words, we're talking about your your day-to-day things. Now, Jesus is using this to describe the benefit of being rightly related to the door. Not a physical object, but a role and responsibility of the shepherd. The other thing the shepherd does, he doesn't just bring them into the fold to rescue them. But because of his ministry, because of his giving of life, we can also go in and out. We can live out our days confident that our shepherd will ensure sufficient pasture for the day that's been given it's a a promise of provision as we go about living our lives day in day out our comings and goings we can be confident that we will be provided for this is what the shepherd does for the sheep It's, it's not just he provides them a place of safety at night they can come in and they can go out They can find pasture. By the way, why do they find pasture? Is it because sheep are so well-known for their ability to find these things? Well, in first century, you know, eastern, ancient shepherding, sheep were not driven. They were led. They find pasture, not because they're so good at discovering it, but because the shepherd leads them to it. Now, we'll talk more about Jesus as the shepherd next week when we get to the rest of the imagery in chapter 10. But again, an important part of this is this provision, this this provision providing for us as we go in and out, as we live out our days. And so one of the benefits of being a saved people, the reason we have meaning in life, the reason why our lives matter and there is purpose, not because of what we do or the dreams that we dream. It's been given to us as a free gift of the saving work of Christ. We've been rightly related to our Savior and our God. And as a result, we can be confident of sufficient provision for what He's called us to do. By the way, the Old Testament uses this language in a couple of other ways. Psalm 121, 7 and 8. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So again, it's not unusual language. This This is the work of God providing for the coming in and the going out. One more. Moses offers this prayer to the Lord. In Numbers chapter 27, now, now this promise comes as, as Moses you know, knows he's not going to go into the promised land, and so his prayer is for somebody who would lead them. Little does he know that he's giving a prophetic pronouncement of Christ. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. You know, what's the implication, by the way, of that? Without a shepherd, you don't have any idea if you're coming or going. And you have no means of providing for yourself. You need a shepherd this, by the way, is repeated by Jesus, right? As Jesus stands and looks over the city of Jerusalem, you recall this? It says, he's described as being in turmoil because he looked out over them and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And So we see this work of provision that God gives. All right, let's go on to number three. A third benefit that is bestowed upon us is Security. Security. Now, it's probably already referenced in the, in the ideas above, but I do want to emphasize then this final verse, verse 10. This is for sure familiar to at least most of you, would be my guess. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. <sighs> are, you, are we ready for this one? Now, I would say that as a pastor, I don't enjoy bursting your bubble when you get a verse wrong, but that's not true, all right? Um, I very much do. Okay? All right? It's just who I am. You can like it or not. All right? I don't know what to tell you. But verse 10, this one gets used and abused a lot. In fact, really, verse 10 almost gets used as like a you know, a chicken soup for the soul kind of thing, right? I mean, it it is a verse that that many just repeat as if it is mere positive thinking, and my fear is that they often get it wrong because what we can do is we read into the language what we think of when we think of life and then life more abundantly. My guess is that most folks, our go-to is something like this that we assume that the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy is the devil and that the devil comes into our lives and robs us of either our stuff, our relationships, or our experiences that allow us to enjoy life. That's not what this means. Not like that. Now, let me go ahead and say something. Do, does, the, does the devil want to steal, kill, and destroy? Yes. Yes. Yes, he does. And can we have meaningful, fulfilled lives as God's people? Yes. But, but the problem is, here's what we do. We, we assume we can adopt the ways of the world, the thoughts of the world, and we can assume that what this means is, is to have life And to have an abundant life is that we have more of the stuff in this life and in this world that makes us really happy. We might have laughed at the statement from the Dalai Lama. But the truth is we often live that way as if if the pursuit in life is to make ourselves happy. This can happen in the evangelical world, it can happen in pews, it might even be happening in some of these pews, and has perhaps, maybe even in the pulpit a time or two, to to assume again, if we're going to have an abundant life, then I need to have all all this stuff. And that doesn't mean we're all materialists, by the way, that doesn't mean we need to be like the guy who won $1.3 billion. If, If you are here, I would like to talk to you though, all right, okay, all right. Whoever that guy is, okay? If you know him, let me know. I'm sure we're related, okay? But see, that, that is the way we think, right? This, this, this would make us happy and fulfilled. Or, but it doesn't mean that. Sometimes we can assume that abundant living means we've got a great family or we've got a sufficient an amount for life, or whatever the case may be. And that's not to say that's not good, well, and good, and that we shouldn't love those things. But do you really think that's what Jesus has in mind? You think in a first century context, with religious leaders, and then perhaps largely poor people, that the thought that Jesus is communicating is that what the thief is coming to do is to rob you of all your stuff, whether stuff or experiences, is that really what, he's doing and what what you need then is Jesus so that you can have a full and abundant life this this full and meaningful life or does he mean two different things that Jesus has come to give life and then to give more than that say all right pastor I'm still not following you well first maybe we should consider who's the thief Now, it's not to say that Satan is not the power behind it, but so far we've noted when Jesus references thieves and robbers, he's not talking about the devil, he is talking about religious leaders. So why in this third instance would he not then again be talking about fundamentally religious leaders, false prophets, false messiahs? These have been the focus of the text thus far. So what Jesus is saying, look if somebody tries to get access to you, claiming to be the Messiah, and we can even apply this lo- more broadly, some other kind of gospel, you should know they are thieves. And their purpose at the worst or the results of their actions all at the, giving them the benefit of the doubt is that what they will do is they will end up stealing, killing, and destroying. Those who bring any other kind of gospel they, they will bring the opposite of life. They bring death. And so Jesus is contrasting himself, right? I have come, though, to give you life. I'm not like the false teachers. I'm not like you, you religious leaders. I'm not, I'm not like those who claim to be messiahs who came before me or may even exist at the time of Jesus or those who have come after. I I give you actual real life. What does that mean? Does that mean some kind of, you know, emotional kind of happiness or, or meaning in life? No, it means in Jesus, you have been rescued from the ultimate judgment of God. You have been rescued out of death And the reality of hell itself, you have been given life because that's what you need. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sin. I need life. The thief cannot give life. So I want you to hear this very clearly. I don't care how good somebody is. I don't care what a fine fellow they may be. They may be encouraging you to be a good spouse, to be a good... A, a good parent, to be a good worker, to, to follow values and principles that are well worth living but if they are encouraging you to believe something other then salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone, they are common criminals and thugs and their world view will end in death and destruction I don't care, I don't care who they are I don't care who else they are again they can be just as sweet as can be they, they, they can be just as kind-hearted as can be, but if they lead you somewhere other than to the gospel, they're thieves. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have to come to the pen, you get in the door. I'm the door, I'm the one who gives you entry, I'm the one who provides, I'm the one who rescues, I'm the one who gives life. And here's what he's saying, I ensure then that you will not experience stealing, killing and destroying. Because he's not talking about realities of this physical world, that's not what he's talking about. Can Christians have stuff stolen from them? Yes. Can can Christians be killed? Well, yes. Can they face destruction in this world? Well, sure, it happens all the time. No, he's talking about something far more significant and eternal and, and heavenly and, well, and in relation to even judgment itself. Now, then what about that next phrase? All right, so, so what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying you've got to watch out for the devil because the devil only comes to make you miserable in life. It's not to say the devil won't make you miserable in life. I'm just saying that's not his main purpose. He's saying in me is the one who gives life. But what about more abundantly? What does he mean by More abundantly. Does that mean you'll be happier? Does, does he mean that an abundant life means that you'll walk around, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips? Does that mean you'll be able to skip around and, you know, sing happy, happy, happy? I mean, is that, is that what he's getting at? Well, of course not. How does Jesus give life and abundant life? By saving me now and saving me forever. What does he mean by abundant life? He means eternal life. How much more life can you get but eternal life? Think about then what he's saying in this context. Jesus is not just saying about, okay, you come to me and you'll have a more profound and meaningful and significant life. Listen, have there ever been Christians who have endured a lifetime of pain and suffering? Yes. How in the world then can those individuals possibly claim Abundant life. Because abundant life doesn't mean that you'll have a season where you have more than what you had before. Abundant life is a play off the language of life. Jesus doesn't just save me now. He saves me forever. And that's why I use the language of security. I think that's what he's talking about. That means I... I can tiptoe and skip through life. It may be real hard and there may be a lot of pain, but I am confident that no amount of grief, no amount of pain, no amount of anxiety, no amount of chaos that's swirling around my life or swirling around this world will ever ever be able to rob me from what is my security in Christ. That I didn't do anything to earn my salvation, I cannot do anything to lose my salvation. Life is given to me as a free gift. It is sustained for me as a free gift and it is secure for me for all eternity as a free gift of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ I always have abundant life because I am in the hand of my Savior and my Savior is in the hand of his Father and no one can ever pry me out of it that's why I'm secure that's why you and I as believers are secure so this is better than how the evangelical world often teaches it this is way better because this means even when I face pain, I can still have an abundant life. Because there are promises waiting for me. And that's why Paul is able to say, talk, talk about the light and momentary sufferings are giving way to a weight of greater glory to come when he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because he doesn't have this kind of shallow, vapid, kind of cliched view of life. In fact, in fact I, just, I heard an example. I, I saw a story just this past week. Some Ugandan missionaries were on a boat. They were going from one side of a lake to another to plant a church. On that same boat, there were Muslims. These Christian missionaries started to preach the gospel to them. It enraged the Muslims to such a degree that the Muslims not only told them to stop preaching, but demanded that they renounce Christ and proclaim their loyalty to Allah. They did not do it. So they threw them off the boat and all of them drowned. As those missionaries were breathing their last of this life, they were ushered into an abundant life. Because nothing changes this. Nothing in this world changes it. I I have full and complete security. I have full and complete security even if the stock market goes up and down I have security regardless of inflation my security does not hinge on what happens on any given Tuesday in November my security does not hinge on what's going on with education or going on with healthcare. Now, don't misunderstand this. I'm not telling us not to be involved in these things or pray about these things or care about these things. I'm just reminding us of what is a greater view of the life that's been given to us. Our life is not bound by this. And, and I will say this. I know you've heard me say it before, but I'll take a shot at my favorite target. Your best life cannot ever be Now, Because there is a greater glory to come, church, and it makes even the best day of your life look like life in a garbage can compared to it. This is what Jesus gives. What is meaning in life? Meaning in life is recognizing this life is not the most meaningful thing about life. How about that? In fact, my life is best lived when understood in relationship to my Creator. And what that means then in this world It's not that I want pain, it's not that I want difficulty, I don't want these things, but I am confident, I am confident in the greater work that Christ has accomplished for me. And these are the benefits bestowed on me because Jesus is the door. Not only does He fulfill the expectations of the Messiah, He bestows the blessings of the Messiah, rescues me, provides for me, secures my life now and forevermore. So I, I would make an appeal to anybody here who does not know Christ. The door is open to you. Ch- Jesus will save those who confess that they are sinners and that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. You can be saved today. Trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But no that any other path you pursue will be death and destruction. But it does not have to be that. It does not have to. You can believe on the Lord. As the, as the service is over, I'll be down front. I'd love an opportunity to talk with you more about what it means. If you do not know Christ, I'd love an opportunity to share with you what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To believers, let me just encourage you then. Encourage you with what are these truths? Sometimes we just need to be reminded of even in the, the simplest kinds of things. And that is no matter what may be going on. And I understand in this room there could be any number of fears, anxieties, worries, pains, and griefs. And those are real. And I do not promise you that as you walk this life, those will be removed from you. But I can promise you those pains and griefs and anxieties are temporary. There is a glory beyond imagination. It's awaiting us. Beyond anything we could think or imagine, says Ephesians. And that is the greatness of God's promise in Christ. So rest in it, church. Be grateful for it. Live this life in courage. Be immovable. Be steadfast. Because your God has saved you. And one day He will resurrect you. And you will know abundant life like you've never known before. Let's stand together and I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we will then sing. And we will again sing about the goodness of this Savior, our rock, our Redeemer, and find our rest in Him and the work that He has accomplished for us. Father God, we do thank You for the gathering of Your people, privileged to have been able to to sing together and to pray and to read Your Word and to study Your Word. And we do pray that You would bring Your Word to bear on our lives. We, We might be faithful then to what You have designed for us to be. We recognize that the meaning of life, life is found in You, the Giver of life, and in your provision for us and in your calling on us and in the greater glory that is to come. Let us live that in faithfulness and obedience. We pray that you by your spirit would use this word to continue to make us like Christ, that we might live for your glory. That's in Christ's name we pray, amen.